PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast, where board setting is now enjoyable. I'm Blake Briggs, and I'm joined today by Iltafat Hussein, world-renowned, and he's present with us today for a limited time. For each 10 to 15 minute episode, sometimes 20 minutes, you gain high yield board relevant knowledge as well as knowledge for life. We call them life pearls or life bombs. As we like to say, come for the stems, stay for the content. You can sign up on our website for free updates and episodes, printed handouts, free review quizzes. You can test your knowledge on those quizzes and different topics by going to our website at emboardbombs.com. Again, that is emboardbombs.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, at emboardbombs. Dr. Hussein, are you ready for today's topic? Today is a really special episode. Uh, why don't you tell us what we're in store for? So today's topic is going to be on COVID-19. And a big part of this topic is to allow providers to get a better understanding of how this presents, what case fatality rates are, what the published literature is talking about. We feel like there's so much misinformation in the media about this. And unfortunately, we feel like a lot of the misinformation is done as clickbait to get headlines. And before we get into that, even is is really want to send an acknowledgement out to all our colleagues fighting on the front lines, um, especially in New York City, Seattle, New Orleans, a lot of these cities where folks are seeing massive, massive cases uh, presenting to their ER. Our hearts are with you. Our thoughts are with you. And we're hoping that you're able to get through this um, as best as possible. Hashtag hold the line. Hashtag hold the line. And really, that's what we're trying to do, right? And that's what you know we do in emergency medicine. That's what we signed up for. And uh, we're happy to do it. And um, we're hoping that the public understands the sacrifices that are being made by uh, those of us on the front line as well. So, Blake, mm-hmm. today's topic, again, was, you know, we don't have a funny stem. You know, we toyed around with it. it there was one related to toilet paper and the grocery store. <laughs> That uh, we started, we started, started on, you know, it was too real. real. It really was. It was too real. Yeah. From toilet paper to intubation, that's not, you know, it's too real. It is too real. So what we're going to present in this short lecture is really going to be on a topic that my residents basically asked me on. They said, hey, we just want to be able to answer competently some of the questions that our patients are asking and some of our colleagues are asking us. And that's where we'll go. Sound good? Sounds awesome. Let's do it. So what is SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19? Let's start with SARS-CoV-1. This was known as the original SARS. The OG. The OG, as we refer to it. Started in China, 2002. It had an R naught. R naught is kind of how you used to explain how many people will transfer that virus to somebody else or someone else get how many folks will get sick. It ranged from two to four. It was an epidemic, not a pandemic. Symptoms for SARS-CoV-1 were flu-like symptoms, incubation time of four to six days. Its endpoint was essentially ARDS, and it was transmitted uh, through respiratory droplets. Again, similar to SARS-CoV-2. Treatment for SARS-CoV-1, supportive, 
lessons learned were that quarantine was highly effective. Hmm. People who isolated before day five of symptoms, they rarely transmitted the disease. Case fatality rate was uh, pretty high, 11%. Not pretty, that's really high. And then uh, those eight aged greater than 65, the case fatality rate was upwards of 55%, which is pretty pretty high. Mm-hmm. Again, remember case fatality rate, the way we kind of express that is number of people who actually test positive for the virus um, and then the numbers who die. So usually you do that on a per 100 positive basis. So per 100 people who test positive, how many of those essentially die? So now we have SARS-CoV-2. This is... Welcome back. Welcome back, right? So it's a, <laughs> it, it shares much of the same genetic data. It's around 80% of the same genetic data as SARS-CoV-1. The pulmonary manifestation of this is COVID-19. We'll talk about that in a second. But this is, again, an RNA virus originated again in China. In 2019 is when we saw this emerge. The R-naught for this is anywhere from 1.4 to 3.9. And again, this has achieved pandemic standpoint, unfortunately. Pandemic achievement. Pandemic achievement, right? Um, So the virus and disease have different names. This is important to understand because HIV is the virus that causes AIDS. You know, measles is caused by a virus. So understand these two phrases, SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. It's important for us as physicians to understand it so that when we read medical literature, we it makes sense to us. Um, and again, it's important to understand when you're discussing diagnostic testing versus uh, when you're discussing disease prevention, spread, transmissibility, and treatment. So for example, you're not ordering a COVID-19 test, you're ordering a test for SARS-CoV-2. Again, that's the virus. You get that, Dr. Briggs? I could just see you sitting here correcting everyone at work who says that. Well, Did you put up signs too? Well, it's just important that we get the naming <laughs> right. It is, it is. It's important so we sound competent, so we know what we're doing, right? Um, and we know how to actually read published literature, not you know the CNN and all these other news sites that are looking for clickbait, right? So, mm. um, so clinical characteristics of coronavirus disease. Uh, this was published in New England Journal of Medicine by Guan Li et al. This looked at over a thousand patients. I'm looking at again in China, right? In China, lab confirmed. That's a, that's a really important note. Okay, so the degree of severity of COVID-19, it was categorized as severe or non-severe. The primary composite endpoints were admission to ICU, uh, use of mechanical ventilation, or death. And again, they the sample of this was they looked at the people who were getting lab confirmed, so you know a thousand, uh, and they looked at about eleven hundred patients out of uh, seventy-seven hundred hospitalized. The incubation time they found ranged from, you know, two to seven days. The presenting symptoms were cough, fatigue, sputum production, shortness of breath. Dr. Briggs, what were the two main things that people were presenting with? Um, Let's see. Obviously cough. For sure. You're looking at like 70%, right? Yeah, like 70%. That's a good number. And... Uh, the really specific symptom of fatigue. Right. A lot of people had fatigue. And, you know, fever varied because fever on admission was like 43%, but then fever dur- during admission would get up to 88%. So it's important to know that I think what Dr. Briggs is kind of alluding to is it's not just going to be fever, you know, fatigue, cough, no, not um, at all. or how a lot of these patients will be presenting. It's important for you to know as the EM provider 
um, because the vital signs won't necessarily scream someone who has COVID-19, but you, know, you need to be asking these questions. Honestly, these symptoms are the same as any other you or I. Right. Uh, they, and they really are. I mean, they vary pretty much the same as if you got an RVP and said, oh, well, what what'd you know? They have uh, adenovirus or they have right. <laughs> rhinovirus. Right. I'm being serious. Like, you know, obviously there's, you know, Dr. Usain's going to get into some of the lab abnormalities and some of the, of course, like the mortality rate is much, much worse than rhinovirus or uh, certain types of flu. But in general, the, <laughs> in general, like the average patient coming in with this, that's what makes it so difficult to diagnose this. So difficult. So difficult. One of the things that was concerning about the data that came out of uh, that New England Journal of Medicine study, you know, in the Chinese cohort were that only 23.7% of these people had comorbidities. So this was a relatively Mm -hmm. healthy cohort, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You're talking about only 15% having hypertension, only 7% having diabetes, only 2.5% having coronary artery disease, which I think, Dr. Briggs, you would agree, um, not necessarily the same sample that we would get in terms of folks who were admitted. Uh, to the hospital for this type of stuff, right? So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're known for uh, for that kind of stuff, right? Right. Um, imaging abnormal chest radiograph almost sixty percent of the time. Abnormal CT about eighty six percent of the time. It's important to note that CT imaging was utilized in making diagnoses in China. Um, however, that's not a model that Italy's using right. or we're using at all, just because it puts right. your CT scanner down. Doesn't necessarily change uh, what you're going to be doing clinically for that patient. Sure, certainly, chest X-rays are important. Some of the clinical characteristics. As we run into this, we're talking about um, lymphocytopenia 83% of the time, thrombocytopenia 36% of the time, leukopenia 33% of the time. When you look at some of their endpoints, 5% of folks were admitted to the ICU, 2.3% required mechanical ventilation. The case fatality rate overall was 1.4%. Again, important to understand this number because as I mentioned to before, they did not have a lot of comorbidities. And we know that folks with comorbidities and that are older, um, they have significantly higher case fatality rates. Can you go back to those labs? Yeah. What what is in? Do you take anything away from that? I feel like that's it's hard. Not, it's hard. Yeah, I don't really think it's going to really make a I difference. Think the only thing would be that a lot of these folks in some of the subsequent studies are showing that when you have leukopenia and lymphocytopenia, your overall course is going to be more severe. Sure. Okay. So when you see that, and you see someone who has uh, positive exposure or a very high likelihood, you should you know certainly be more worried um, that they're going to decompensate more yeah. or faster. Sure. Sure. Um, the other studies that you've heard, and again, some of the the point of this pod is really you're hearing a lot of these numbers be bantered around. It's important you understand where those numbers are coming from, right, Dr. Briggs? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So the China CDC report, um, this is a pretty big report that was published with a ton of patients. You're talking about more than 70,000 patients. Um, 61% of those patients were confirmed with diagnostic lab testing. And then they, the rest were basically clinically suspected or um, asymptomatic or whatnot. But you're talking about 61% of those 72,000 were confirmed. This is from China's infectious disease information system. So this is where that number comes from. So among confirmed cases, mm-hmm. 86.6% aged from 30 to 79 
80.9% of those are considered mild. This has been cited over and over again. So it's important to understand mm -hmm. where it comes from. Again, this is coming from China's CDC report uh, that came out. This is the age group of 30 to 79% um, mild symptoms. These were mild symptoms, and we'll get into that here in a moment. So among confirmed cases, again, that's 61.8% of them confirmed, they saw mm -hmm. about 1,000 deaths, and your case fatality rate was 2.3%. Um, and they saw 1,700 healthcare workers uh, with five deaths reported in healthcare workers for a case fatality rate of 0.3%. And it is important to note that a lot of these numbers, you know, they were right. operating without the knowledge of COVID-19 and, and what they were dealing with, a lot of those healthcare workers. Right. Um, so uh, mild cases, the, that again, the number you hear battered around in the, in the media, kind of 80, 81%, and even in published literature, frankly, um, it's cited a lot. Uh, it was essentially considered non-pneumonia or mild pneumonia. Again, it's important to mention you can have SARS-CoV-2, but not develop those pulmonary manifestations or severe pulmonary manifestations of COVID-19. It's important. Right. It's just purely upper respiratory. Right. Exactly. And, you know, just going back to your point that you said originally, these, not again to confound things, we don't, we just don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to say that a lot. We just don't know if you're, in, and these are among confirmed cases that you just said, Again, those are confirmed cases. Right. So your numerator and denominator, right? Your denominator might be significantly higher, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think that's that's absolutely critical to understand, especially when you don't have diagnostic uh, capability is similar to what we have, you know, right. with influenza. Um, right. And the severe cases in this report were basically uh, shortness of breath, um, respiratory rate greater than 30, low O2 sat chest x-ray findings. So again... Um, you know, when you look at kind of mild, severe, and the fact that majority of these were mild is more reassuring. And uh, when you look at their case fatality rate, their case fatality rate, they had zero deaths between zero to nine um, years of age. They had uh, one death um, between 10 to 19. I think that one death was a um, special case. Yeah, and I think it, it was 14 or 16 year old. When you looked at 20 to 29 age group, they had seven for a case fatality rate, you know, 0.2 and 30 to 39 was 0.2. But here's where the numbers start to get scary. Between 70 to 79, it was 8.0. Um, hmm. And greater than 80, you're looking at 14.8. You know, this is concerning because those are massive numbers. When you get into comorbidities, again, for their confirmed cases, um, you're looking at folks having hypertension 12.8% of the time, diabetes 5.3, cardiovascular disease 4.2. Um, so our Italian colleagues are obviously... Buongiorno. <laughs> Buongiorno, right. You know, it is extremely difficult for them right now. Um, they saw their, for the first three days from February 22nd, their ICU admissions went from 11.15 to 20. Uh, per day. I mean, that is that is a lot, right? And then you're talking about oh. an ICU surge over two weeks. I mean, this this was massive. Oh, yeah, that they basically formed this ICU cohorts formed at 55 hospitals. So 15 days prior to March 7th, they had 556 ICU admissions. Um, I mean, that is, again, you have to remember, <laughs> you know, in that region and, you know, their size, that is difficult. That is very difficult. Yeah. 
And important to note, you know, they mentioned that 12% of pot that were positive for SARS-CoV-2 were acquiring ICU beds, whereas in China, only 5% were. But again, you know, the hard part about that is, are, are you testing everyone? Um, right. How, how much are you testing, right? So in their most recent um, publication out of their ICU group, when it comes to case fatality report, they looked at the first 1,600 deaths in Italy. Um, and this is Italy as of March 17th. 2020. So their overall case fatality rate, 7.2%. Um, very mm-hmm. high, very high, very high. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the reassuring thing when you're looking at age groups, 29 or less, they actually have zero. And again, this is in their first right. Um, 1600, right? So when you when they looked at those case fatality rates in Italy, age was just one part of it. They had a very liberal definition of COVID-19 mortality. So they actually took a subset of 355 patients and they yeah. looked at those 355 patients. Again, remember, they were reporting the first, you know, essentially 16, you know, 1,625 deaths. So they looked at that and they found that 30% of these patients had ischemic heart disease, 35% had diabetes, 20% of them had active cancer, and 24% of them had AFib, 6.8% had dementia. Um the definition of health. Right, right. So you can you can see like a lot of these folks had significant comorbidities. And yeah. um, that's a really big deal, especially when you compare it to the China subset and why this is such a big deal, especially in the U.S., because we know that there's a high disease burden in our country when it comes to diabetes, um, you know, coronary vascular disease and whatnot. So only 3% of these patients of that 355 random subset that they pulled had no diseases. That's, that's pretty remarkable. So only 0.8% had no diseases. 50% had three or more underlying comorbidities. That's huge. That's huge. The case fatality rate, um, it's important here to also understand, as we talked about before, Italy has stopped doing testing of people with very mild symptoms. They're focusing their efforts more on folks who have severe symptoms. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, Italy is actually the oldest country in Europe. Yes, as and well. that's yeah uh, another key thing to really take into account. It's like twenty five percent of their population is above sixty five. Right. So again, that's it's important to understand those case fatality rates because um, this is why this is such a big deal. This is not the right. flu. You know, people will oftentimes say, "Oh, this is just the you know two or three times worse than the flu." No, it's not. It's it's worse. However, it's not Spanish flu. Yeah, it's cer- certainly. It's not a Spanish flu, uh, for sure. They had a much, much higher case fatality. And yeah, you can't the even compare the thing two. With, you saw a very high case fatality rate in you know, the, the population between like 30 to 50, which was, sure. um, which was odd. But this one is sure. certainly, for folks who are older, the case fatality rates are just staggering. So let's look at the pediatric age group. Uh, very, very reassuring data here. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of uh, your colleagues or friends might be terrified for their kids, but really this is where we should feel very reassured. Um, there is it's a time to, time to be young again. <laughs> yeah, I know, especially <laughs> younger than 18. In the you know, in pediatrics, the journal, they published, again, using that China CDC data, uh, 2,000 pediatric patients where they had 34% lab confirmed. 12.9% of them were confirmed positive for SARS-CoV-2 completely asymptomatic that's pretty terrifying that's pretty (laughs) terrifying right and you can imagine that they 
underestimate that because it's not like they're testing you know other random people uh they're most likely testing these people because they had contacts right and finding them to be asymptomatic it's very it's terrifying it's great but it's also terrifying because uh, it makes um you know mitigation strategies containment strategies very difficult the most innocent of carriers right kids right (laughs) right um that's like a that is like a movie it's like a movie thing that you could do right in a world in a world um and (laughs) for those that were symptomatic um only really 5% of them were having dyspnea or hypoxemia. Um, so why are kids doing great? Lots of speculation. Nobody really knows exactly why. So again, kids are doing really, really, really well. Um, Good job, really kids. Well. Um, in pregnancy, we don't have great data on this. The data that we do have, it basically shows that in pregnancy, in late pregnancy, they appear to have good outcomes. These are small case reports. However, there's a ton of data out there. So I would have imagined by now that we would have seen a lot of complication. If there were significant complications or pregnancy issues related to COVID-19, they would have they would have reared themselves up by now. Mm-hmm. So I would say at least right now, it's reassuring. So in terms of test to order, again, chest x-ray, you're getting labs, CBC, CMP, mm-hmm. things to consider mm-hmm. are LDH, CRP, D-dimer, troponin, baseline EKG. These are all things that your hospital probably has protocols for. So we're not going to really get into that. Key therapies yeah. that we want to talk about. Again, we're not going to talk about all of them. When you look at steroids, no. Right now, at least, uh, based on some of the initial studies, just don't do steroids. What about steroids. dexamethasone? No, Come on. Stop it. Stop Come it. Stop on. it. Stop it. We're going to blow through these, okay? ACE inhibitors. Everyone's talking about, oh, switch people from ACEs and stop ACEs. So stupid. Uh, yeah. As of now, look, there's not enough published evidence to Hi. really stop the treatment of ACE and ARBs. Um, there really is Hashtag isn't. clickbait. Uh, yeah. A new, there was a new article that just got published. I think it was just two days ago, New Journal of Medicine, further saying that right now is not the time to recommend chase, changing right. ACE inhibitors or ARBs. Um, ACC, the European Society of Cardiology, the AHA has all come out saying like there's just not enough evidence uh, to stop that. Yeah. To stop ACE inhibitors. Um, oh, and malaria. Oh, the malaria drugs. Uh, chloroquine. Oh, here and we hydro- go. Chloroquine. Look, this these are immunomodulators. <laughs> they can suppress they suppress your immune system. Uh, these are used for rheumatoid arthritis, lupus. They in in vitro again, not humans or animals. Studies have shown they have the ability to reduce viral replication of coronaviruses. There was a supposed Chinese study of more than 100 patients. Uh, people have just not been able to really find the actual study um, and the methods and how it was done. Currently, the use of these drugs, at least based on the most recent article I read in Journal of Critical Care, is experimental. It's tempting to want to use drugs like this because uh, we get kind of wrapped up in the hype, but there are significant Mm -hmm. toxicity safety issues. You're talking about QT prolongation, torsades, hypoglycemia, changes in the way your liver metabolizes things. Now, we do understand that this these drugs are currently being utilized in various protocols across the U.S., which I think is fine because they're being done under medical supervision. It's, mm-hmm. you know, why not? It's worth a shot uh, to mm-hmm. see if these drugs work. There's several studies pending, so we might know more. But again, to prophylactically be giving them or outpatient, you know, prescribing them, you really don't have evidence to, to sit on or evidence to back yourself up. Nope. So, supportive care. 
again, it's it's really that's the mainstay right now. So supportive, supportive care, early innovation strategies being employed at a lot of places. I'm not going to get into this because, nope. again, hospitals are developing their own strategies um, and you should really follow your hospital guidelines. Vaccines, there's several vaccines out there for this, but what do vaccines need? They need efficacy testing. So even some of my colleagues, my physician in my physician group test, will be like, oh, there's another vaccine that came out and I, you have to try to explain that, again, uh, vaccines don't take time to develop them anymore. I mean, look at Moderna's mRNA platform, right? They were able to make a vaccine within like a day or a few hours. Um, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. They, they yeah. literally just were able to look at the code and make the vaccine. But you need efficacy testing. You have to basically make sure it's safe. Then you have make to- Make sure it doesn't kill people. Right, make sure it doesn't kill people. And even more important, hey, does it work? So what do you do? You have to basically give the vaccine to people in endemic areas and you have to see if they catch it or not to see if it actually works. So what can we do as EM providers? Look, the, the social media has just gotten crazy. I, oh God, I've stopped awful. it off. I've stopped it. Ugh. I don't I do not do Twitter. I stopped Twitter, stopped uh, all that stuff. Yep. Um, get great sleep, eat well, exercise, exercise, optimize your immune system. That's absolutely critical. Spend time with family. Be proud of being at the front lines. I'm going to post on social media. Oh, please. Uh, this is going to be a moment that folks are going to remember 20 years from now. So what, what right. were you doing You know, during this time, right? And I think we're lucky as EM providers uh, to be honor. here. It really is. It's an honor to be here and an honor to serve at the front lines in time with one of humanity's greatest needs, right? Be a leader in your community. As an EM physician on the front line, people are going to be looking at you for hope and guidance. Don't be a Debbie Downer. Be positive. Inspire hope. You know, at the end right. of the day, we're in this together. Hashtag hold the line. Hold, hold the, line. the line. That's what we got to do. Let's wrap it up. Hey, you want to hear some trivia? Yeah. You know where the word quarantine came from? Where? Uh, so interesting enough, during the Black Plague, Venice, basically they restricted ships from coming into their harbor. Yeah. And they decided that they noticed that other harbors were doing like a 20-day, you can't come into the harbor thing. And then, you know, if the 20 days had passed and not everyone had died in the ship, they're like, okay, well, you're fine to come into the city now. And they noticed, Venice noticed that 20 days was too short, and so they upped it to 40 days, and the Italian word for that would be quarantina. Ah! So it was a 40-day limit on shipping into the city of Venice, and and that's what worked uh, for them. Interesting. Fascinating, isn't it? Fascinating. You know, the more you know, it's like that gold commercial. The more you know. And now Venice has clean water. Too soon. All right. Oh, too soon. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> hey, stay safe. Stay safe out there. Seriously. You know, everyone stay safe. Take care of your health. Take care of your team. These are crazy times. And we're going to get back to providing some funny stuff for you guys uh, to get through this. But we felt like it was important to acknowledge what's going on and drop some bombs. As we always do. Uh, remember, you can find us on Twitter uh, if you choose to dare to go on social media. Our handle is at Bombs. We're also on Instagram. Drop us an Apple review. You know, while you're not on shift, this is your time to catch up on EM Bombs material. Uh, we're still producing handouts. We're still making podcasts. So check us out. Drop an Apple review. Uh, and we'll see you next time for more action. Dr. Usain, thanks again for your expertise. For sure.